0: Camilla and you're listening to The Cat's Whisker, a time machine for all those who love rock and roll and want to know everything about it. People, stories, and the music that changed the world. In a few words, it doesn't matter whether you've lived through those years or just like me, you've always wondered what it was like. I have loads of stories to tell and great music to play. So let's roll! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cat's Whisker. I hope you're all okay and ready for a new episode. Today, we'll talk about the support that all rock and roll lovers are obsessed with vinyls, their history, how they're made, and why they are so awesome. If you were born too late just like me, vinyls are a precious way to listen to the music we adore the way it was originally released in. Little did I know though that the groovy support had a very interesting story. But first of all, vinyl is actually the name of the material vinyls are made of. It's a synthetic plastic called polyvinyl chloride or PVC for friends, and depending on the way it's processed, they it can either create piping or records. But this support didn't take off until the 40s. So, in order to discover how vinyls became successful, I needed to investigate how people listened to music when records were made available to the public. First of all, How did humans record sound for the first time? Well, it was all Édouard Léon Scott de Martinville's fault. He was an editor and typographer at a publishing house for scientific books. While he was working on a physiology book, in March 1857 he saw the illustration of the anatomy of the human ear and decided that he wanted to be the first person to create a device that could do what the human ear could do. listen. So what did he do? He covered a plate of glass with a thin layer of lamp black, then took a small membrane and stuck it to the end of the cone of an acoustic trumpet to mimic a human eardrum. Afterwards, he placed a small boar's bristle to graze the lampblack. So, when a sound started, the trumpet would record it, making the membrane vibrate and the stylus trace figures in the lamp like in the form of a groove. That's how Scott recorded on April the 9th, 1860, the earliest surviving recording of the human voice. A man, presumably Scott himself, singing the song Au Claire de la Lune. He never actually heard it back because his device was only able to record it. And even if the recording is very, very damaged and a little bit creepy, I think we should listen to it and keep in mind this is the first time a human voice was ever recorded and we can still listen to it today. One of the most famous people who contributed to the way we listen to music today is certainly Thomas Edison. It was the winter of 1877 when he invented the phonograph. He was first inspired by telegraph repeaters and tried to use paper tape and wax as a support to record the grooves, but then, the revelation, a piece of tin foil wrapped around a grooved metal cylinder that when rotated would leave dents in the tin foil. This kind of worked, but it seemed very rudimental and not sophisticated enough to be sold. Interestingly enough, though Edison's phonograph was a step towards the modern way to reproduce music. If the first attempt made by Scott less than 20 years before could only record music but not play it back, Edison's device was able to both record and reproduce the sound. This idea was then improved and trademarked as the graphophone by Alexander Graham Bell of the Volta Laboratory. It used a lateral recording system, where the stylus was zigzagging. After years away from the project, as soon as the graphophone started being sold, Edison had a little FOMO and decided that that could have been an interesting project to work on after all. And that's how, a year after, he comes out with his perfected phonograph. He wasn't bitter at all. It used all wax cylinders, which is not a very well known alternative to the disc. But when they came out, I wanna say that for at least 10 years, they were a big rival to the actual discs. They were, I mean, you guessed it, cylinders that once put in a cylinder phonograph, played back music. They were usually cut at a speed of 120 revolutions per minute. That would fit a three minute recording, usually of songs or funny monologues. That's why they were used a lot in Nickelodeons at the beginning. To be able to accommodate the cylinder on the phonograph without damaging it, the circumference of the two ends of the cylinder were slightly different. The wax they were made of, though, was pretty soft and because of this they would wear out after they had been played a few dozen times but when there were no grooves left, the smooth surface could be used for new recordings. I mean, that's actually a cool thing about cylinders, and the cylinder phonograph was usually sold with recording devices. But what made the disc prevail, although it could only be used to play back music, was the fact that discs were a lot cheaper. And that's what German Emil Berliner, in the same years, had opted for when he developed his gramophone. Discs were made of wax or zinc, then cut with acid to create a playable groove. So, he really was the man we need to thank for the idea behind vinyls. Something interesting happened in March 1900 though, that really made everyone think that cylinders could actually win the battle. The Lambert company of Chicago started producing cylinders made of celluloid, which was the first version of hard plastic. And this was proper revolutionary because they wouldn't break when dropped, but most of all, they could be played thousands of times without wearing out. Also, it often happened that cylinders were dyed different colours, because that was supposed to reduce surface noise. This changed everything, because both discs and cylinders now were only playback devices. But it was undeniable that the quality of discs was just better. That's why in 1912 Columbia Records decided to stop producing cylinder records and Edison at the same time developed the expensive but high-fidelity diamond disc, played with a diamond stylus. This was also the time when the standard record speed was set to 78 RPM. And that's how many of these changes became a standard. First of all, making vinyls more available also made the way people recorded music different. If before musicians had to literally be inside the horn to make sure their sound was captured, when in the 20s musicians started using microphones and electronic recording systems, everything became easier to hear. But it wasn't until 1926 that a pure moment of serendipity happened when Mr. Walter Simon, developed a cheap substance able to bond metal and rubber together for the B.F. Goodrich company. And that's how a chemistry professor invented vinyl. Around that time, records were mostly made of shellac, a resinous secretion from an insect that when polished was cut into the desired form. As you can imagine, shellac certainly wasn't as available as plastic, especially after the war, and had two main problems. It was extremely fragile. And I know vinyls are, but Shellac was way more sensitive. And most of all, the recordings had a higher playback noise. So, it still took a few years, but vinyl was clearly destined to win. In 1930 though, everything changes again. Well, kind of. RCA Victor was the first to commercialize the vinyl long playing record, the famous and winning 33rpm format. As revolutionary as this was, though, the fact that the Long playing format was launched during the Great Depression made sure no one could actually buy the discs, let alone the playback machines. RCA Victor was basically forced to take them off the market because most people that had shellac players noticed that after a few plays, the stylus would scratch the vinyl record too deep, ending up destroying it. So, for a very long time, the 33 RPM disc was forgotten. Until after the war. But don't get me wrong, during the 30s and World War II, many companies were to develop better sound, improve records and record players, but you know, the world was literally in the middle of a war, so it wasn't really easy to sell. Records were obviously pressed during the war. But they were mostly propaganda related, and when shellac started being rare to find, vinyl became the instant replacement. But I also want to add that between the 30s and 50s acetate discs with an aluminum core became another option. Especially for newscasting and later on for the production of vinyl records where the acetate is the master. In 1948, Columbia decided to revitalize the 33 RPM and let me tell you, that was a success. Not only the playback machines were completely improved, avoiding all the technical difficulties that RCA Victor encountered, but that was the right time to commercialize something so new that brought hope and affordable music to the houses of all those that just wanted to start living their lives after two traumatizing decades. RCA Victor, though, was taking notes and very cleverly decided that since Columbia literally trademarked their LP idea, the only thing to do was in a format that could compete with the 33 RPM. And that's how the 45 RPM was born. Now, cue drama music because this particular event started the War of Speeds. And I assure you, I didn't make this up. That's actually what it's called. From 1948 to 1950, the industry was completely puzzled. They didn't know what to produce and which format was going to win. So, I already know that you know how this ends. But let's pretend it's 1948 again. So here are our contestants. The 78 RPM. This is the oldie but goldie, a record format that was probably in the back of every music shop because it was popular once, but only because it was the only format available. It all started with a very interesting calculation that I wouldn't be able to make on my own, so I'll read it from Victrola.com. The speed was generated on the modern engine at the time. Large 3,600 rpm engines would operate with 46 teeth gears. As the Shellac records were mass-produced, these engines would run at a speed of 3,600 divided by 4, or roughly, 78.2 rpm. Thus, this was the speed it needed to be played to hear the audio appropriately. Oh my god, I hope you're still there and you didn't decide to tune out. But back to the records. At the time the 78 RPM format became common, the discs were mostly made of shellac, so very fragile, and they could hold around 5-8 minutes on both sides. But even when the other formats emerged, 78 RPM records were still produced for classical music. 33 RPM 12 inch or long play. Have you ever bought an album in your life? If it was a vinyl, that was a 33 RPM. It can hold up to 21 minutes on each side. Do I have to keep going? 45 RPM, seven inch or extended play. This is the problematic kit of the 33 RPM. I mean, let's be honest, this is the RCA-Victor revenge against Columbia for stealing the 33 RPM idea. Which I totally get. Its maximum capacity was around 4-6 minutes on each side. So, spoiler alert, the two last formats won. And really changed the music industry that even now that things are released digitally is ruled by albums or singles. And when everything was established, one question remains. How are vinyls made? Well, since I'm absolutely useless with mechanical stuff, I'll read you what I found in an interesting article from Your Sound Matters by Mark Henschel. The flat discs are made from an aluminium core, which is first sanded down to a smooth finish. The discs are then placed in a conveyor belt, ready to be coated in a nitrocellulose lacquer. Once it gets dry, it will thicken. That's what she said. At the moment of recording, the studio will have a special device called disc cutting lathe. The master is placed onto it and secured. Next, a microscope and cutter are moved to the disc's outer edge, ready to perform a test cut. The microscope is used to assess the test groove for any issues. Once happy, the engineer will begin recording allowing the lathe to cut a continuous groove using a sapphire tipped cutter. To create vinyl records from the master record, it will be necessary to first create the stamper. The master will be washed and then sprayed with thin chloride and liquid silver and a duller metal that stiffens the disc. The next step is called electroplating. It simply involves immersing the silver plated disc into a liquid tank of dissolved nickel. When immersed, the nickel is fused to the silver surface by an electrical charge. Once the nickel sets into the grooves, the disc is removed from the tank and the metal layer is removed from the original lacquer disc, becoming the stamper used to press new records. An optical centering punch will make a hole in the center of the record and the labels are punched over it. Then the pressing happens. Polyvinyl chloride pellets are poured into a hopper that feeds the material into an extruder that condenses them into a small puck shape that is commonly called biscuit. The biscuit and labels are then moved to the press where 100 tons of pressure is applied at a very high temperature to melt and mold the biscuit into a new vinyl record. And there you go, you have your new record. So thank you again Mark Henschel from Your Sound Matters. You really helped me sound smart. And even now that vinyls are not the main way to listen to music anymore i'm just really happy that people still decide to buy vinyls i'm not an expert so i can't really tell you if scientifically the sound of a vinyl is better than the sound of a cd or an mp3 but let me tell you there's nothing like being able to put your disc on record player and putting that stylus on the grooves and then turning the side after 20 minutes because that always makes the music relevant the fact that you have to take care of it because even if music is the only form of art that you can't really see I love to think that those grooves in that vinyl are a little part of its representation and will be forever. Thank you for listening to this episode I hope you found this story interesting I love discovering how things that I take for granted were made and the history behind them because it could have gone one or two ways but I'm so glad that 33 and 45 rpms were the winning ones do you prefer albums or do you prefer singles do you own a lot of vinyls let me know and remember to follow me at the cats whisker podcast on instagram and the cats whisker on tiktok where I post a lot of extra content regarding rock and roll the 60s and 50s and sometimes I actually play covers of the songs that I play on the podcast or just rock and roll songs see you next time for a very very special episode ciao